going to talk about injustice. There's lots of it around, and we need to know how God instructs us for our benefit to deal with that injustice. And so we could look at the children of Israel. First of all, they made a mistake. They wanted God to give them a king, but God was basically saying, no, I want to be your king, and I'll speak through the prophets to lead you and tell you how to go. But they refused to listen to that, and they kept saying, we want a king. God then said, here's the injustice that he will bring on you if you make him your king. And they said, it doesn't matter. We want a king. We want to be like the other nations. Christians, whenever you feel like you want to be like everybody else around you, you're in a wrong place. We need to desire to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, not like the world around us. But because we often yield to the temptation to be like everybody around us, we often bring injustice on ourselves. And so when God warned them and they didn't heed exactly what God had warned them would happen, did indeed happen. And there was much injustice that Saul brought on the children of Israel because of their desire to have what they wanted. And it, it needs to register with us in some way that the Lord wants us to be in a place where we're fully dependent upon him for what we um, live by, what we do. And as we fully depend on him, things will go better. Now, that does not mean there will not be injustice, because some injustice is simply because of the world and the sinful state of the world around us. And the Bible, especially the New Testament, warns us a lot that there will be injustice, there will be suffering because of the sinful state the world or our country or our community is in. And therefore, there's going to be injustice that will touch us. But I believe as we walk in the presence of the Lord and we obey his Holy Spirit and do what he wants, we can cut that injustice down. I have no idea what percentage and I'm not prepared to even guess at it. But he wants to bring us into a place of total dependence upon his Holy Spirit. We can also sometimes, and justice comes simply because God is trying to test us to see us if we'll obey his word. And most of what I'm talking about here at this time is how to respond in a Christ-like way to the injustice that we may be experiencing. So whether it's coming from the world because of sin, whether it's coming because of our disobedience, or even if it's coming because God is allowing the testing to come, he wants to teach us how to respond to that injustice. The thing about testing is that if God is testing us, when we have passed that test, I believe that, the, that anything that God might allow, God would say no more of that because they've learned how to respond to it. I, I, I haven't got time to talk about Joseph and what he went through with the terrible injustice he went through. But I will say this. He obviously learned how to deal with that injustice, keep his attitude right, and, and therefore, for many years of his life, he, he experienced a lot of the blessing of the Lord. As a matter of fact, it says the Lord was with him and the Lord prospered him in everything he did. 
So I'm going to be teaching a lot from 1 Peter. And 1 Peter chapters 2, 3, and 4 have a lot to say about injustice. So as we, as we talk about injustice, I'm going to keep going to those passages of Scripture to read them to you. But before we go to 1 Peter, let me read from my notes what um, the Apostle Paul said to the Philippian church in Acts cha or, pardon me, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. He says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of man, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. In other words, he said, I'm no longer going to depend on the godliness within me. I empty myself of that. I'm going to depend strictly on my humanity. On the, and it says he took on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So broken down, that basically says Jesus knew there was persecution, injustice coming. Jesus knew it was going to be difficult. But he said, I'm going to be obedient to the Father. He has called me. He asked me to do this, to lay down my life for those that needed to have sins forgiven. So I'm doing it. I know there's injustice, but I will have a right attitude towards injustice, a right attitude towards what some might call persecution. And if my attitude is right, and I do what I know the Father wants me to do. I will get through this time. And it was strictly a test of the Father because Jesus had no sin and he wasn't being affected by the sin around him as far as we can see. He was tempted by the enemy, of course. But it, the injustice was coming because God was testing him to see if he'd be obedient. And so Paul here is saying, I want you as Christians to, do, to do, make a choice to have the same attitude as Jesus had towards suffering, I want you to have the same attitude. And so 1 Peter 2, 4, this is, says, as you come to him, that's Jesus, the living stone, but listen, rejected by man, but chosen by God and precious to him. We need to look at that and say, Jesus knew he was going to be rejected by man. Jesus knew beforehand, way back in Isaiah, way back in the Psalms, he talks about the rejection that he would experience. And the amazing thing is, he came anyway. That's how much he loves us, to deal with the sin that would set us free. He loved us so much. He knew rejection was coming. And so now Paul say, or Peter says, um, just as Jesus was rejected by man, we will be rejected by man. We shouldn't be surprised when we experience rejection. Rejection is always an injustice. And rejection hurts. The more you love the person that, that rejected you, the more it hurts. And so we need to recognize that whenever I feel rejected by someone, I need to, in my mind, say to my spirit, 
say to by my soul, say to my spirit, Peter said I would be rejected. Jesus knew he'd be rejected. Jesus told us over in the Gospels, he says, if they rejected me, they'll reject you. If they hated me, they'll hate you. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter because you are going to be rejected. It's a part of the sinful state of this world. And so rejected by man, but here, chosen by God. When people reject us, that doesn't mean God has rejected us. Even if it's a Christian person that rejects us, God has not rejected us. And we're not only chosen by God, but we're precious to him. Verse, the verses go on. And as I get to the different verses, I'm going to be showing you the steps we take in order to deal with this rejection. Let's go down to um, verse 11 of chapter 2. Verse 11, we may bounce around through here, but I'll try to keep you informed where we're going. Dear friends, Peter says, I urge you as, as aliens and strangers in the world, you've probably heard Christians say, I'm just a stranger here, my home is in heaven. Well, we all should have that spirit, that heart, Yes, we don't belong here, so we are aliens and strangers, and we're, but because of that, we're supposed to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now listen. We're strangers in this world, and it says that there's something within us that wants to respond to the injustice that's coming against us, and so there's a desire within us that we're going to talk a lot about at this time, a desire within us to respond the way my old flesh says I'm supposed to respond. And so my old flesh and now you're going to have a diagram on your screen that shows you two circles up here. One is your old flesh. One is the Holy Spirit within us. And then there's a, that circle down below. That's the decision maker, our soul. And you'll notice that up at the top, there's two arrows, one pointing from the spirit to the flesh, one pointing from the flesh to the spirit. They represent the tension and the uh, the war that goes on between what the world would say we're supposed to respond and how the Spirit says we're supposed to respond. And so as we look at that, we realize that there's a battle going on. Every time there's an injustice, there's a battle that says, get even, um, get, go hurt them, they hurt you, you go hurt them, you reject them back. And you see what the old flesh is trying to do is console itself by wounding because we were wounded. And so God says, just a minute, that's not going to work for my people. That's not going to work for anybody, actually, but especially for my people. I want you to start listening to what the Spirit says. And those two arrows coming down, they're, they're the influence. This flesh is trying to influence the decision maker. The Spirit is trying to influence the decision maker. And it's up to us which one we listen to. Listen to what Galatians 5, 
16 to 18 says. Again, we'll read that from my notes. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. See, if I listen to the Spirit and do what it says, I don't have to listen to the flesh. So therefore, I make a choice to listen to the Spirit. But let's go on. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit. That's that arrow. And the Spirit against the flesh. That's the other arrow. For they are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you, that you please. See, my flesh actually says to me, if you just get even hurt them, you'll feel better. Listen, that goes for a few minutes. But if I've hurt that person, my conscience start, should start to bother me, unless your conscience has been seared because you've done it so much. But that's not God's way. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. For those are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. You say to your flesh, flesh, you cannot do what you want. I'm going to do it with the spirit. It's a decision. Remember Joshua. He said to his people way back in the book of Joshua, choose you this day whom you will serve. Well, in a way, this is a choice. I'm going to choose what the Holy Spirit is going to teach me here that this time I'm not going to do what the flesh says, which I learned from watching many other people, how they responded, or I learned it by um, listening to the flesh. At the end of that verse says, but if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And so this um, diagram I have up here, it, it, it helps you understand the battle that's going on between the flesh and the spirit. But it also helps us understand we have a choice that we can make to make the right decision against the wrong decision of the flesh so that we can be free. Listen to what Romans 8, 5 to 8 says. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So he's saying where your mind is set, that's what you're going to obey. If it's set on the flesh, you'll obey the flesh. If it's set on obeying the Spirit, then you can obey the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death. That's serious. If I keep doing what the flesh tells me, I'm going to be spiritually dead, and it may even someday kill me because all the garbage that goes on out of, out of getting even, out of the rejection on forgiveness, all that stuff that goes in there shortens people's lives. Talk to people that are in the medical field about unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, and they would probably agree with you. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. All of a sudden we have a choice. Do we, do we want death? Do we want life and peace? Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile, those are those two errors again, towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Notice it says that the flesh cannot do anything else except <clears throat> do the wrong thing. You can't say to your flesh, I'm going to change my flesh. 
No, the flesh has to die. That's what water baptism is all about, saying, I'm dead to what my flesh wants. I'm going to bury it in water baptism and come up with someone living in obedience to the Holy Spirit. Now, the Word of God separates the flesh from the Spirit so we can make the right decision. So Hebrews 4, verse 12, listen to what it says. This is a, this is a common verse, but there's so many people that don't really understand in the context of what I'm saying. It says, for the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So you'll notice in the carnal nature, it's our thoughts and feelings that they, they're saying, go with your feelings, go with your thoughts, go with them, you see. And Paul, Paul here is saying to the Roman church, no, no, that brings death. He's saying, Paul says, go with the Holy Spirit. That was, is what brings life and peace because you cannot change the flesh. It has to die. You need to actually speak to your flesh time. Say, flesh, I will not obey you. I command you to die. Go back into the tomb of the water baptism. You are dead and gone. I live by the Spirit. I can't have both. We're either walking in the flesh or we're walking in the Spirit. When it comes to injustice, your flesh will come alive and want you to do what it says. When you walk in the Spirit, you will have victory, life, and peace. Let's go back to 1 Peter. 1 Peter um, chapter 2, verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though, accuse you, although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God the day he visits us. Now, Jesus was an example of that. But the way we respond to injustice will speak to the world. The world will say, where did you get the strength to respond like that? How did, you, how did you forgive that person and love that person in spite of what they did to you? And that's when you can say, because I serve a great God. He put his spirit within me and gives me the strength to, to resist what my flesh wants and to live according to the spirit. What a testimony. You see, there's an example that we could take from Mark chapter 15. It's in verse 39. There was a soldier that stood at the foot of the cross, and he had probably seen all the beatings, all the, all the, the, the injustice that was done to Jesus. And as he stood there, and as he looked at Jesus, and there's Jesus on the cross in terrible pain and agony, and, and he hears Jesus say, Father, forgive them. They didn't know what they're doing. That soldier is recorded in Mark as saying, Surely, this was the Son of God. What an awesome statement for a man who's a pagan. He's, a, he's, a, he's an idol worshiper. All of Rome, the Roman people were idol worshipers at that particular time in history. And, and in the same way, when people see us responding to injustice the correct way, the way Jesus wants us to, the way Jesus set an example for us, that is the way, you see, that will say to those people, there's a better way out there. God has a better way for you 
than what the world has. There are five different ways that I'm going to mention here from 1 Peter, and it talks about people that will treat us unjustly, but how we should respond to them. All right, so the first one is 1 Peter, and it starts at verse 13. And we're using a word that most of us don't like, submit. We don't like it because within each one of us, I think we're born with an attitude, maybe even a spirit of rebellion, and so submission is the, re is the opposite to that, but P Peter here is saying submit, and so let's read what he says. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake, not for your own necessarily, for the Lord's sake, and then the Lord will help you if you do it for his sake, to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as a supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish man. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God, Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. And so Paul is saying, no, I'm sorry, Peter is saying here, even if the government says things that maybe you don't agree with, there's a need to recognize that that government, regardless of whether it's a righteous, mediocre, or evil government, we need to be, have an attitude of submission. And I'm going to be using that term, attitude of submission, a lot. I'm going to, before we're finished here at this time, we're going to talk more about that. But as he's saying that, he is saying, God has put them there for a reason. There are governments that are in place, and they're there in order to bless people. There are other governments in place that are put there by God to bring judgment as he brought Saul into Israel to bring judgment on the people for wanting their own way. It can happen to us as well. And so what does he say? Even in those situations, submit yourself to that. I'm going to look also at a passage from Hebrews 13, 17. It says from my notes here, obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. So it's for our benefit that we obey. Now the one from Hebrews is talking about spiritual leaders. So he's trying to say there may be injustice even from spiritual leaders, but there needs to be a submission there in order for it to go, it go well with you. I've, I'm amazed how many times that phrase is used in the book of Deuteronomy, that we obey so that it will be well with us very often. Now, I could read Romans 13, 1 to 5, which is a lot the same as 1 Peter 2, 13, but he's taught again being submission to governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, for those who exist are established by God. 
Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and those who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior. If in other words, if I behave myself, we don't have to fear. But if I'm in, if for evil, if I respond in an evil way to them, then I should fear. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God, that's an interesting statement, to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. It is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. Now that's hard. If I lived in a country where there was a lot of persecution against the Christian church, it would not be easy to say, yes, Lord, I'll obey all that. I'll obey your admonishment that I should be submitted. But again, we're looking at an attitude of submission. And we're looking at not necessarily always having to do everything the government try to force us to do, which would might be evil things. And so let me cover one more section, and then we're going to talk about when is the time for me to be disobedient to my authorities and still keep a right attitude of submission. So in, in 1 Peter 2, 18 and 19, he says these things to um, people who at that time he called them slaves. We could say employees, although we're, there are slaves in our society today and it's not good, it's terrible. But um, let's look at employees especially. I'm sure that's who this is going to relate to mostly. Slaves, submit yourself to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. That word harsh means there will be injustice. You won't, you won't always be treated the way you want it. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. Commendable means God sees our submission to that injustice. And you see, when God sees submission to injustice, he says, the rebellion in that person has been dealt with because I see the submission, which is the opposite of rebellion. And so I, I, I commend that person because rebellion is totally against the will of God. That's what brought Satan out of heaven. That's what caused trouble with Adam and Eve when they rebelled against the ordinance of God and brought a lot of trouble on us. Rebellion basically says, I want to be in control. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm in control of my own life. I've asked people many times who've come for counseling, who have established I'm in charge, I'm going to look after myself, but now they're sitting in a chair and they're asking me to help them through the struggles of life. And I say, well, you've been in charge of your own life, haven't you? Yes, I've been in charge of my I've set my own course. I've determined that I'm going to beat this thing. And I say, well, let's be sensitive about it. Look at your life right now. How are you doing? If you're the manager of your life, how are you doing? And many times I've seen them 
with tears coming down there, I said, I've done a terrible job. And that's because God wanted to be in charge of their life. So he wants that rebellion out. And he says, if you submit to government, you submit to your employers, you submit, the rebellion is gone. And when the rebellion is gone, you'll find it much easier to listen to me and do what I say, because that rebellion has been dealt with. Now, there is a time for disobedience. And that disobedience um, is demonstrated by Daniel. It's demonstrated by the three Hebrew children. Daniel had to disobey the Lord, or pardon me, the, the king, because the king was saying, you can't serve your God, you have to serve my God. The three Hebrew children, Nebuchadnezzar made this great big image, and he said to everybody, including the three Hebrew children, you have to pray to that God. Both situations, Daniel, with great respect, please, I said that, with great respect, he submitted to the king. He was not only, he didn't submit to serve and quit praying to his God. He submitted in attitude only. But he basically took the attitude, I respect you as my king, but that's something I cannot do because it would be disobeying God, who is a higher authority than you are, sir. Now, I'm paraphrasing. But the three Hebrew children, their attitude was, when they were told they're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace, whether we live or whether we die, O king, we cannot disobey the Lord our God. But when you read that, you realize they weren't bitter, they weren't angry at him, they weren't disrespecting his authority, but they were choosing to be disobedient. And in any time that someone in authority would tell me I have to do something that is against the principles of God's kingdom, against his obedience, or that I have to do something for them that is dishonest, we need to be able to say with the right attitude, in some way, in the tone of our voice at least, say, I respect your authority, I respect your place, and I'm under your authority, but that is something I cannot do. I remember back when I was still in the business world, the company I worked for decided that we as, as people in the business who had contact with, our, with the people that bought from us and stuff, that we should um, do something to, it would have hurt the competition and um, hopefully brought more sales to our company. And I said to them at the meeting that we met at where they were deciding that, I said, that is something I cannot do, and I cannot tell the men that work under me in my division that they're to do that. I cannot do that. Because it's against my principle as a Christian. Now, the, the beautiful turn of events, they listened to me, and they trashed the whole program, which I'm glad they did. But you see, I had to do it with the right attitude of respect to the man who was above me in authority. I had to speak to him out of that respect for his authority. It wasn't that he was right or wrong. He was wrong. But I recognized his authority, and I believe he sensed that because he said, you're right. And the whole thing was changed. 
All right, let's go on. In chapter 3, starting at verse 1 and 2, there's a very unpopular passage of Scripture with probably half our population. But here we go. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Wives, in the same way, just a minute, in the same way that I and you submit to employers with a right attitude, to governments with a right attitude of submission, in the same way be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Now, we have experienced, my wife and I, in counseling with ladies that had struggles with their wives, we, did, we couldn't change the husband because generally husbands that are disobedient don't come to see us. The wives who come to see us. But we have testimony of wives who get back to us and said, I did, I did what you recommended. I submitted myself. I changed my attitude towards my husband. I asked God to forgive me for having a wrong attitude. And this is what happened. My husband seemed to change. Now, I can't guarantee that in every situation. But even if I can't guarantee it, it's still scripture that you're supposed to submit yourself to him because that is God's command. He has a reason for it. If there's rebellion in your heart, submission to a, an unjust husband will clean up that rebellion so that you can hear God, listen to God, obey him, and, and start to respond to your husband differently. I want to just tell you quickly, one lady was so unjustly treated, her husband spent his money on his toys, his snowmobiles, his, his motorcycles, his big cars, and he, he didn't give her money for groceries every week. She had to buy for a couple of children plus him, and so she, she had to scrounge some way. I don't know how she did it, but she, she came to us, and we talked to her about this, and she listened to us. She went home, and about a month later, we were told, my husband changed. He started giving me money every week for groceries. For the last four weeks, I've had money for groceries. What happened? Her rebellion against him in the first place set him back so that he wasn't going to give her anything. But her submission to that, and out of that submission would automatically come respect for him that he hadn't received before. And as a result of that, he began to treat her much differently. Now, I haven't heard from them since. They lived quite a ways away. But I believe that that home had a change of spirit within it. So wives, it's important that you realize God wants to bless your home and your marriage. But your spirit has to be right. You see, your husband's place of authority, and there's, a, there's two, at least two or three places where God says that Jesus is submitted under God. Then the man is submitted under Jesus, and the wife is submitted under the wife, and the children are submitted under the parents. So many people say that's, that's a cultural thing. I'm going to throw that out. But listen, their excuse is, if the husband's the head, 
that means he's more valuable than I am, or that means he's greater favor of God, or he's more precious or whatever. That is absolutely nonsense because submission to authority and where you are in authority has nothing to do with value, has nothing to do with what I'm worth. It has to do with a government order that will bring peace in a country, in a community, in a home, and in your life. Where there's order, there can be peace. Businesses know this. Hospitals know this. School systems know this. There has to be an order. The people down here have to respond to the authority above them. And if they don't, they're going to get fired or at least disciplined. And if we, and if we see the president of a company and we submit to his decisions and work with him, there will be peace in the company. Same with hospitals, same with schools. It doesn't matter. The same with homes. When there's order in the government, there will be peace in the home. And we need to get a hold of the fact that if God has established government in the home, it's because he wants peace. He wants kids, children to grow up in a peaceful environment. If there's fighting, if there's tension, if there's lack of submission because of rebellion, they're going to see that. And they will take that rebellion. And in their hearts, they think it's the right way to react to issues of life that might be outside the home, but may be unjust. And they're going to respond the same way they see you responding in the home. Wives, you are just as valuable as your husband. Every bit. God sees you. He died on the cross for you just as much as he died for anyone else. It has nothing to do with your value. It's simply the responsibility. Your husband's in a responsible place because God appointed him there. He didn't earn it. He didn't um, go to school to learn it. I wish he would have. But it's a place God appoints. The moment I said, um, uh, the pastor said, in our, my wife and I in our marriage, the pastor said, you, I now pronounce you man and wife. I automatically became the head of that home. It was an appointment. I didn't deserve it, but it's an appointment for government order. Please, wives, ask the Lord to help you. Understand that. It will bring great peace, bring rest to your home. A husband, this is the fourth thing. It says in 1 Peter 3, 7, a husband in the same way, now it doesn't say husbands be submitted to your wives because Webster's Dictionary describes submission this way. It just says when you arrange yourself under someone in authority. And so a husband can't be under the wife or because the wife is under the husband. However, he's saying in the same way, be considered. Let me stop. That means you have an attitude towards her that is correct and right. And he goes on and tells it what it's supposed to be. All right? Be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Listen, husbands, let me say that verse means as your wife is submitted to you, you have a grave responsibility to respect her, to love her, to treat her as a queen, to, to take her out for dinner once in a while, to do things that will bless her, 
Don't forget her birthday. Don't forget Valentine's Day. Don't forget Christmas. Do things to bless her. You should be saying to yourself every so often, what can I do this week to bless my wife? You might say, well, she's, she sits and watch, watches um, uh, soap operas all day. Listen, God doesn't say that she has to meet some condition as far as you're concerned. You see, what I read about the wife's submission, those are her verses, not yours, to throw at her. Don't you dare throw 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2 about how wives have to be. Don't you dare throw them at her and say, you have to be submitted to you. I'll tell you, husbands, what you should do. Give her something half-decent to submit to. Make it easier for her to be submitted. Make it a joy for her to be submitted. Give her the joy of knowing somebody's in charge of this home. Somebody's in charge of the spiritual. Someone's in charge of what the kids are doing. Someone's in charge of what we do, renovations, the lawn, anything. Someone is in charge. That doesn't mean that you don't listen to your wife. That doesn't mean that she has no voice. Husbands and wives, whenever there's a decision to be made, they should sit down and talk with each other, listen to each other, but finally, because the husband's ahead, he, she should then give him the blessing of saying, oh, okay, honey, we've talked it through. I want you to go ahead and make the final decision. And she also needs to say, if you happen to make the wrong decision, I'll be with you, we'll work it out, we'll get out of it, I'm not going to blame you. That's key, wives. Husbands need to know that if they make a decision based on the discussion you've had, sometimes even the children need to be involved, based on the discussion, if I make a wrong decision, we're still going to work together to make it right, to get out of it, and do what is right. That brings a home that is peaceful. You need to understand the home is a place where children either learn rebellion or learn, learn what it is to have an attitude of submission, to live in peace and to have a life. The fifth thing that we can glorify God with is by suffering. 1 Peter 2, I'm going to start reading at verse 21. And going back to verse 21 in chapter 2, he says, To this you were called. We're talking about suffering. He mentions that three times, by the way, in his little book here. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Do you understand? Just as Jesus was submitted to suffering, we are to be submitted to that suffering. As Jesus, if you see that as injustice, yes, that's what he said. But listen, then it talks about Jesus from way back in Isaiah. He committed no sin. I have. Some of the injustice I've been through has been brought on by my own sin. But he committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. It says in verse 23, when they, he, when they hurled hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him, that's God the Father, who judges justly. 
Let me, let me break that down for you. Here's the Father in heaven looking down at Jesus, and Jesus is not fighting back. He's not giving insult for insult. He's not giving anything that has to do with getting even or anything else. He is simply receiving in himself the mess and forgiving. And you see, God said, Jesus, because you forgave, because you didn't fight back, because you didn't try to get vengeance, you didn't, you're not vindictive, because of that, then I will look after the one who brought the injustice on you. You have forgiven, I the Father will bring justice. Oh, how we need to remember that. God, that person that just messed up my life with that thing he said, I forgive them, I'm going to keep on loving them, I'm going to ask you, Lord, to fill my heart with love, and Lord, you said to bless those that persecute us, I pray blessing on that man, on his family, on his work, and the Father says, that's right. So beings, you have done that. I will be the one who will bring revenge, justice, or whatever I have to bring on that person of death to you. God will fight our battles for us. God will bring the justice that needs to be brought. It's not our fault. It's not our responsibility. You know, there's a story that I heard a number of years ago. An eagle, when an eagle knows a storm is coming, here's coming the storm, here's the eagle. It simply does this with its wings so that it can go up above the storm. So we can too. We simply say, Lord, this is your battle, it's not mine. I'm going to rise above the circumstances. I'm going to start praising you, Father, for getting me through. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to make sure that I, I pray blessing on that person. Every time I think of that, I'm going to pray blessing. If you want to dig deeper into this, how we've dealt with some of rejection, um, I have a teaching also that you'll be able to find shortly. Uh, maybe now. I'm not sure when this is going to be aired, but it, it has to do with healing being healed from rejection. You need to listen to him. Romans 5, verses 3 and 4 says, Not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, perseverance, proven character, and proven character, I have hope. Hebrews 11, 1 says that faith comes out of hope. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. A lot of people don't have any faith because they've never gone through the trials in a right way to establish the hope. Many of them don't have proven character, but proven character proves hope. Many people live without that hope, and it's too bad. Joseph is a wonderful example who went through the injustice of being rejected by his family, the injustice of rejected by Potiphar because of Potiphar's wife, and he went into a place, a prison, and he was there for many years. But God honored each place. He blessed him in Potiphar's house. He blessed him in the prison and brought him out because he had his attitude right. There's healing for injustice in 1 Peter 2.24. 1 Peter 24 says, 
For he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. And then it says, by his wounds we have been healed. Now for years I used that passage of scripture. If somebody asked me, so I have a bad back, would you pray for healing? I would quote that scripture. It's not wrong. I believe in physical healing. And I believe that by his wounds we're healed physically. But this passage about our wounds has to do with the wounds of rejection and injustice and suffering. And, and the reason why I say it is because it's in the context of 1 Peter, Peter's writing solely in his whole book, actually, we're just focused on chapter 2, 3, and 4, about the healing of wounds as a result of injustice. We need to live in harmony. And I love this passage. 1 Peter, chapter 3. And I'm going to read from verse 8 right through to verse 12. Finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Wouldn't you like to live in a home like that? Wouldn't you like to work in a business like that or teach in a school where everybody is in harmony, they're sympathetic, they love, they are compassionate and humble. And then verse 9 says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because of, to this you were called. There's that phrase again. You were called to it, so that you can inherit a blessing. Now he's saying, if you are willing to bless, then you will get a blessing. Give, and it shall be given unto you, from Matthew 5, 33. If we give, it shall be given. Let's go on to verse 10. For whoever would love life, this, by the way, is from this, is, from a psalm. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. Um, we're not, when it talks about keeping your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech, he is not talking about cursing or swearing or lying. No, he's talking about vengeance because of injustice. Again, the whole passage has to do with how to deal with injustice. So if I watch myself, don't listen to the old flesh, but listen to the Spirit. He says in verse 11, we must turn from evil and do good. We must seek peace and pursue it. But here's the reason. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Righteous means here those who do the right thing according to God's standard. And his ears are attentive to their prayers. Let me reverse that. If I'm bitter and resentful and unforgiveness, God's not going to hear my prayer. But if the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So if I, if I do what is right, God watches me and he listens to me. If I do what is wrong, he turns his face from me. Your choice. Then I'm going to now look at 1 Peter 4. Verses 1 and 2. Little story, first of all. The story is basically a man gave us a prophetic word one day and said, Howard, 
the Lord tells me to read this to you, 1 Peter 4, 1 and, 1 and 2. He read it to us. I marched it in my Bible, marched in the Bible I was using at that time. I didn't know what it was for. It didn't make any sense to me. About six, eight months later, Margaret and I were going through a trial in our ministry. We'd been hurt by some people, what they did, and so on. We're kind of moping around the house, feeling sorry for ourselves. And the Lord reminded Margaret, she says, what was that verse that Brian gave us? Precious brother Lyman, Brian Lambert was willing to give us what Lord gave him. And we went and read it, and this is what it says. Beloved, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Oh, I'm sorry. I give you my story a bit too soon. This one has to do with arming ourselves. Arm yourselves also with the same attitude because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for human, evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. So arming yourself means I need to get ready. You're listening to this, watching this, reading the scriptures with me, and you see the Lord says, I want you to get ready now so that when the day comes that you're rejected and hurt with an, with a, an injustice, you know how to deal with it. Because if you wait until that happens, you'll be so messed out with your flesh trying to get revenge, you won't be able to do it. So he says, get armed now. You see, if our country heard that another nation was going to attack it, we'd arm ourselves, we'd get ready. So you need to get ready as well. Now this is the one I just told you the story about um, the brother that gave us the word. It's verse, it's 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Remember, we're in our home fussing around with our self-pity and how, you know, how could they do that to us after all, after all the stuff we've done for them. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering. Right there, when I read that, I realized God knew six, eight months ago what we're going to be going through, and there was a load of heaviness, of burden, lifted off my, I still, it's like a load of bricks off my shoulder. Don't be, he says, don't be surprised at the painful trial as though some strange thing were happening to you. I've heard that so often. People in counseling, they're going through a hard thing. Oh, nobody else is going through what I'm going through. I could say to them, we'll give you a list. We've been in this for years. We've, you know, I can give you a hundred names of people that are going through stuff. As a matter of fact, if you want to really deal with your self-pity, you need to read some of the stuff that's put out by Brother Andrew or some of the other churches or ministries that follow the persecution in some of the countries. It'll help you get a hold of your own situation. And so he says, don't be some strange thing. Don't be surprised. And then verse 13, but rejoice. That's an interesting word to have in the middle of painful trials. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Do you realize when the disciples used to say when they're being crucified. This isn't necessarily in the scriptures, but it's in recorded history by other people, by records they found. 
the disciples, when they're going to be crucified many years later, as Jesus was, found it a, a, a delight that they could suffer as Jesus did. Matter of fact, we're told that Peter said, I don't want to be crucified. I want to be crucified upside down because I'm not worthy to be suffering the way he was. So rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Listen, I'm not sure exactly when his glory is going to be revealed, whether it's the second coming or maybe some other thing God will do, but he talks that we may be overjoyed. If I have responded right to injustice, there's joy that comes out of it. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer, a thief, or any kind of criminal, or even as a murderer. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. Hallelujah. Now, our biggest enemy through this whole thing I've already responded to is self-pity. Self-pity says, I don't deserve to be treated like that. I deserve to be treated better. I just want what I deserve. That's a terrible thing to say because Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. If I got what I deserved, I should be in hell burning right now because I have sinned. You have sinned. The Bible says everyone has. And you say, well, that's where we should be. So I'm thankful that the Lord has saved me. We need to recognize that self-pity is the, is the energy behind the, it's like the engine, the motor that drives the tape recorder that keeps reminding us in our minds how terrible those people treated me, all the terrible things they said. You need to repent of your self-pity. You need to repent of not being obedient to the Lord and forgiving and blessing them and loving on them. Please listen to my, my teaching on repentance and my teaching on, on um, healing the rejection. And there's much more in there that you're going to learn. So God bless you, Father. You have been so good to us. We know that your heart is for us. We know that your heart wants to walk with us. And in the name of Jesus, we pray that you will bless those people who have made a decision from listening to this, that they're going to have a different attitude towards injustice. Thank you, Jesus, for saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Amen. Please visit our website at jwmi.com dot ca to find out about more information of our ministry.